0: For Wednesday, October 27th, it's the early word from the WNYC newsroom. Hello, I'm Lance Lucky. in for Isaac Davey Aronson, with a look at this morning's top news stories, the day ahead, and reporting highlights from the WNYC news team. Coming up, Lisa Chow tells us how political campaigns are mining voters' personal data. And Matthew Sherman says the proposed trans-Hudson rail tunnel between New Jersey and Midtown is dead again. Really, it's dead this time. We'll start with the morning's top headlines just ahead. The Early Word is a production of WNYC Radio. You can support this podcast by making a donation at WNYC.org, where you can also get the latest updates on this morning's headlines on the news page. Haiti's cholera outbreak is sparking protests as people grow more fearful of the deadly waterborne bacterial infection. Aid workers say hundreds of protesters threw rocks at a cholera treatment center they didn't want in their neighborhood. The UN says cholera has killed more than 280 people and infected more than 3,700 in Haiti. Indonesians are trying to cope with the after-effects of twin disasters. Scores of people have been killed by a volcanic eruption and a tsunami hundreds of miles apart. Tuesday's eruption of Mount Merapi killed at least 18 people, and a tsunami triggered by an earthquake Monday night swept away homes, killing at least 113 villagers. Hundreds more are missing. Closer to home, Vice President Joe Biden says he expects Democrats to hold on to both the House and Senate in next week's midterm elections. Biden stopped by a phone bank in New York City yesterday where volunteers were making calls for Democratic congressional candidates. Even in the reliably blue state of New York, as many as eight House Democratic incumbents are believed to be vulnerable. And just a week before Election Day, the city's Board of Elections has fired its executive director. George Gonzalez was heavily criticized following widespread voting problems in last month's primaries. And next week's ballot was found to have an error in its instructions. Mayor Bloomberg said Gonzalez's firing will not solve long-standing problems at the BOE. Until our elected leaders in Albany get serious about reforming, the board so that the people running elections are hired based on merit instead of political connections. And we should expect more problems like the ones we've had. The board is made up of one Democrat and one Republican commissioner from each borough who are recommended by their parties and appointed by the city council. Meanwhile, voters head to the polls in six days or not. To get a sense of what's on their minds, WNYC hit the streets of Harlem to ask whether people are voting and why. This is what we heard.
1: No, because I don't know none of them. All of them just come out of the woods on Election Day. I don't know anyone. Time to get back to voting again. Health care. Wow. Handicap accessible uh, for, for the trains.
0: As it stands now, I've worked all my life and was laid off last year after working somewhere for 10 years. Yes, I'm voting. And anybody who doesn't vote really deserves what they get. I don't vote for Democrats or Republicans. Uh, I think they're both corrupt, in bed with the rich. I'll vote when there's somebody to vote for, in my opinion. Somebody who's independent, who's really going to be for working people.
1: I'm well, not voting. No, right now, I have a job. For the whole year, I have one job. five weeks. Last election, for Obama, I vote. No, I'm out.
0: That was Henry Johnson, John James, Sharon, Brian Jones, and Harold Wilkinson, who spoke to WNYC in Harlem about the midterm elections next Tuesday. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has killed a new train tunnel under the Hudson River for a second time. WNYC's Matthew Sherman has more. Christie canceled the $8.7 billion tunnel first on October 7th, citing potential cost overruns that the state had no way to pay for. Then he agreed to look at ways to salvage the project after meeting with U.S. Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood the following day. Two government officials close to the project confirmed Tuesday that the tunnel was dead again. New Jersey Senator Frank Lautenberg criticized the decision. He said in a statement the federal government had suggested an option that would have eliminated the state's responsibility for cost overruns. But another official disputes that interpretation. More details are expected to emerge Wednesday. For WNYC, I'm Matthew Sherman. A New York City police unit that tracks terror threats on the Internet played a key role in the arrest of a New York man accused of trying to join the Taliban by enlisting in the U.S. military. Abdel Hamid Shahada was arrested last week in Hawaii on charges. He made false statements in a terror probe. He's in federal custody and will be extradited to New York. Public housing tenants who say they sometimes wait years to get repairs done vented their frustrations at a state assembly hearing. Arlene Dayton from the Parkside Houses in the North Bronx says she and her elderly neighbors recently took NYCHA to housing court to get their leaky roofs fixed. And the problem still hasn't been resolved. It's affecting the ceiling area, the walls, the entire wall where it has bubbled and cracked and now it's turned into mold and mildew. NYCHA says it's focusing on major building improvements to cut down on individual apartment repairs, but General Manager Michael Kelly says the fund for major improvements is about $6 billion short. Housing advocates say there's another problem. The main city agency that polices private landlords does not do so for NYCHA Buildings. The crowds and chaos of Manhattan may thrill tourists, but it may be putting New Yorkers at risk of hearing loss. In many parts of Manhattan, just walking the streets during the day exposes people to decibel levels that over time can damage their hearing. That's according to a study being released today as part of the International Conference on Urban Health at the New York Academy of Medicine. The study found that some of Manhattan's noisiest spots were along the city's truck routes on First Avenue above 14th, along Broadway in Inwood, Times Square and East Midtown were also among the city's most clamorous corners. Finally, Maya Angelou's personal papers documenting decades of her literary career have been acquired by the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in New York. They include early correspondence with Malcolm X and James Baldwin. The Schomburg Center is a research unit of the New York Public Library in Harlem and plans to announce the acquisition this week. The center says the nearly 350 boxes contained correspondence, drafts, handwritten manuscripts, and fan mail, as well as notes for her autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, and her poem, On the Pulse of Mourning, written for President Bill Clinton's 1993 inauguration. Angelou says deciding to put her collection at the Schomburg. Was a no brainer. Taking a look at today's calendar, the Commerce Department reports on September's durable goods orders and new home sales. The Congressional Oversight Panel for TARP holds a hearing on foreclosure mitigation programs and the impact of the recent foreclosure irregularities. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton arrives in Hawaii on the first leg of a trip to Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, New Zealand, and Australia. And President Obama delivers remarks at a violence against women event at the White House and later today tapes an appearance on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Just some of what's happening this Wednesday. In every election cycle, campaigns spend hundreds of millions of dollars trying to reach voters. And like advertisers trying to sell their products, campaigns are becoming increasingly sophisticated in their marketing techniques. In the first of two stories, WNYC's Lisa Chow looks at how campaigns mine voters' personal data to find them and then tailor their messages to them.
1: When Jerry Skernick left the Koch administration to go into business for himself, he debated between political consulting and a less obvious field, selling voter lists. He chose the list business after realizing you can make good money in data.
0: The standard answer I give to people when they ask what I do is I say, you know those annoying phone calls you get from politicians? We sell them your number.
1: And your address, party affiliation, date of birth, Basic voter information that most boards of election in New York state give away for free, but that Skernik compiles into neat lists and then sells to political campaigns for about four and a half cents per voter. Skernick is part of an industry of data collectors and data interpreters that has emerged around elections. Some companies use census numbers to estimate your income, education, whether you've got kids. Others amass consumer data to find out whether you travel a lot, invest in stocks, or eat a lot of fast food. Politicians want this information because they're trying to figure out who you are and how you view the world so they can do a better job winning you over. In his apartment in East Williamsburg, William Desmond studies a graphic full of voter data on one of his two computer screens. So here's a a model that's predicting People that will support Desmond them. is a micro-targeting analyst for the company Strategic Telemetry, which takes the personal data on voters and runs them through computer models to predict voters' attitudes. In these days before the election, Desmond's creating a list of voters the campaign he's working for should target. It's all part of a last-minute push to get out the vote. You want to find kind of a sweet spot because you don't want to knock on people who are... Definitely going to support you and definitely going to vote because that's a wasted knock because it doesn't matter. They're already going to do it. And you don't want to knock on doors and drive people to vote who aren't going to support you. So if you get a knock at your door or a flyer in your mailbox, it's probably because the campaign sees you as someone who could be influenced. Then the question is how to influence you. Ken Strasma is Desmond's boss.
0: So if you've got maybe three seconds between the mailbox and and the recycling bin when someone glances at your piece of mail, you want to make sure that you're using those three seconds to engage them on an issue that they're likely to care about.
1: Concerned about public safety? Maybe the candidate sends you a flyer citing their record on crime. Your personal data suggests you're a problem solver. This candidate knows how to get things done. Mayor Bloomberg's campaign profiled voters so extensively that people living on the same block could actually receive different mailings. Bradley Tusk was Bloomberg's campaign manager in the last election. Look, your average voter's really busy, right? They've got a job, they've got kids. Tusk says people are only thinking about a couple of things when they go into the voting booth. The trick is to try to figure out what are those one or two things that you could try to get out there and repeat about yourself or your opponent so that when they walk in there, they know the things about your candidate that you want them to know. Meanwhile in Brooklyn, William Desmond is reading the data back from voters. He works primarily with Democratic candidates. Is he worried? Um... I wouldn't say I'm terribly optimistic. But he's trying his best, knowing that Republicans, they've got their own targeters, doing the same thing. For WNYC, I'm Lisa Chow.
0: And tomorrow on WNYC, as Election Day approaches, mailboxes are being stuffed with campaign flyers. Direct mail is the best and most effective way to reach a large number of voters and to know who you're reaching. Voters say they hate direct mail, but campaigns depend on it, and WNYC's Ilya Merritts will explain why. Finally, the city police officer who stopped an armed holdup in the beauty parlor where she was getting her hair done has been promoted to the rank of detective. Ferris Jones was off-duty Saturday night getting her hair fixed at a salon in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, when a suspect burst in brandishing a gun and demanded the customers turn over their valuables. Police Commissioner Ray Kelly says because Jones was cool under pressure, no one was hurt. She had the presence of mind to make certain the women behind her were on the floor and out of the line of fire. Detective Jones, who prefers to be called Jonesy, said the three women in the salon did what they were told. When I told them to get on the floor... They got down, and that's all I wanted them to do, just listen, just have one person and just follow directions. Police say after Jones identified herself as an officer, the suspect opened fire. She fired back, shooting the gun out of his hand and injuring him. Police arrested suspect Winston Cox Monday. A 20-year NYPD veteran, Detective Jones, says she carries her firearm wherever she goes, but until Saturday, never had to fire it in the line of duty. Jones joked that she finally got her hair done Monday night. We'll wrap it up with the gig alert. In the early 1980s, artists like Lisa Lisa and Stevie B briefly ruled the airwaves. Their style of early electronic music, known as freestyle, has since gone out of fashion. But a new artist called Chico Man is bringing that sound back and mixing it with the afrobeat of Fela Kuti. Chico Man is the musical alias of Marcos Garcia, the former guitarist for the celebrated Afrobeat band Antibalas. You can catch him tonight at Santos House Party in Chinatown. And you can download this track for free at our culture page. Just click culture at WNYC.org. You can learn more about the stories you heard here, download more podcasts, and go in-depth with our reporters on the news blog at our website, WNYC.org. Hear us there 24 hours a day and on the air at 93.9 FM and AM 820. From the WNYC Newsroom, I'm Lance Lucky. Have a great Wednesday.